Mariah said it, and you see it around you. We have not attempted to be stealth about this. Our series is called How Happiness Happens. That's uh, what we're going to be in this week's last week, uh, these weeks. Last week was week one. Uh, today is week two of How Happiness Happens. And uh, week one, last week, we, we talked about how to miss happy, specifically four ways that are common ways that we miss happy. They, uh, we see them exemplified in our lives. They derive from the first chapter of Philippians. We pointed you to four of those things like the happiness illusion and the happiness paradox. The happiness illusion, we draw it from psychology. One of the realities of our day, we see it in Philippians 1 in the testimony of this man named the Apostle Paul. The happiness illusion is I will be happy if I get what I want. I will be happy if certain things happen to me. Um, and that's an illusion. Off, I mean, how has that worked for you? We talked about, and some of you, many of you discussed this in your small groups. Uh, it's really, it points to the difference between momentary happiness and enduring happiness. And momentary happiness, man, we can go get some of that, can't we? We can go get that in sin. Uh, I was in New Orleans this weekend. I saw some sin down there. Uh, not at the wedding I was doing. They're a good, godly, fondant church couple. But you can get pleasure in, uh, in uh, sin for a season, Genesis says. We can find momentary happiness. Your team can win. You can get some candy. You can uh, uh, visit the ice cream truck that rolled through our neighborhood recently in a white van. I don't trust it. But anyway, momentary happiness. Uh, we all have different ways, different testimonies, if you will, how we can reach out and grab happiness. But it just lasts a moment, a warm tropical vacation, a big bonus or pay raise at work, a dinner with friends at a trendy new hot restaurant. All those things we said last week can give you momentary happiness, but what is enduring happiness? And the, that's the happiness illusion. The happiness paradox is if you go for happiness, remember life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it's an inalienable right, but you can, if you go for happiness as your ultimate pursuit, you'll miss it. But happiness, paradoxically, is that thing where if you find meaning, then you're going to get happiness thrown in. And Paul has very um, unpleasant circumstances, to say the least. And yet he's writing. We said this, we'll keep repeating it, that Philippians, an overview, is the Apostle Paul, an early Jesus follower. He's at the end of his life. He's writing a thank you note to friends, and he's filled with joy, despite having no real reason uh, to be filled with joy. We talked about comparing from Philippians 1, 15 and following. And, and a lot of our happiness gets sucked out. We miss happiness by comparing ourselves with others. That never goes well. Then we talked about one, another way, the third way we miss happiness is going at it alone. We see warm, close friendships. We see partnerships in Philippians. It just oozes with it, uh, these friendships. That's what greases the wheels of life and make it worth living. It's the relationships that you that you and I have. And, and then we looked at uh, just a, a, how we can miss happiness by adopting a pessimistic outlook uh, on life. And Paul's like, man, whether I live or die, this is what I have in Christ Jesus. And uh, man, we, we put that on the bottom shelf. It's there for the taking. But uh, I just want to say, I, I, I just don't think there's a testimony in this room, anybody watching at home now, that you can stand up and say, hey, here, I found happiness by just going after it. In fact, every time I've tried to wake up and be happy and make happiness my goal for the day, I find myself selfish. I find people turning away from me, and I find happiness is the very elusive, evasive thing that I cannot find. So today, the title of this sermon is What We Don't Get About Gratitude. Can I just say, you won't find a happy person who's an ungrateful person. You won't find an entitled person who is a happy person. So I'm going to give you today some some. Uh, ways that we miss gratitude. And, and the first thing I, I want to say is that we tend to reduce a gratitude to saying thank you. 
and you know we we think it's well gratitude is like a polite word it's a proper word we teach our children to say thank you hey you know we lean down and we nudge him and we say what do you say what do you say to the nice man what do you say to uncle ben what do you say to aunt gwen what do you say to grandma for the lima bean casserole what do you what do you say and we want our kids, what? We want them to say the words. And like, you know, I've seen parents, and maybe we've done it before, like you're twisting arms behind the scene or applying some pressure on the foot. You want them to just say the words, thank you. And sometimes we think that's what gratitude is. And that's not the kind of gratitude that the scripture talks about. That's not what we see uh, in the book of Philippians. So I want to give you some, some principles from Philippians 1. We'll, we'll, one of them we'll, we'll pull from the second chapter, but primarily from verse 1. And the first thing that I want to say, by the way, let's go back. Here's the map. We looked at it last week. I told the 930 this. Um, um, if you want to get a great overview of Philippians, uh, punch this in your internet search engine. Uh, Bible Project Philippians Overview. One more time. Bible Project Philippians Overview. And you'll see some videos. The top one will be, it's a nine-minute long video. So not, you can nerd out for nine minutes, right? Uh, I, I don't trust you to nerd out with me for nine minutes. You'd fall asleep or walk out. But nerd out this week if you're going to be in a group and going to be coming these weeks. Bible Project Philippians Overview. You, you'll learn some of the stuff that was happening in the world, the context and all. There's Philippi. If you look at Macedonia at the top center, you'll see Philippi underneath it. It's, um, it's a, it was a military outpost. It was a Roman colony. Uh, it was in ancient Greece, and it was beautifully uh, the first uh, Christian congregation in that part of the world, in Europe at that time. And Paul showed up with Timothy in 52-ish AD uh, after Jesus. He showed up with Timothy, Luke, and Silas, and a crew. You'll meet a woman uh, in Acts 16 in Philippi, in this part of the Macedonian world. Lydia was her name, and Lydia was a very successful business uh, person, and uh, God used this woman to help start the church there. Uh, uh, she was, her heart, Scripture says in Acts 16, was open to the Lord after Paul's preaching, and she received Jesus. Her family did, and the church was going house to house. They did the temple. They, they came to the temple, but they went house to house, and that's how it grew, the fondness, the love, the devotion that they had for each other. Lydia was a big part of that, so you'll see that um, in this part of the world at that time. It was a Roman colony. This means a lot in, in interpreting the, the, this letter. Uh, Paul would write the letter with Timothy uh, some 11 years after he showed up. So the church was established and the church grew. And it's kind of cool because FC, I don't know if you care, we're 11 years old. So I'm going to write a letter that they're going to be reading 2,000 years from now. I'm going to write it to y'all. No, I'm not. Anyway, uh, I'm going to take a nap after this. But uh, so that, that was what was happening. So end of his life, thank you letter, two friends filled with joy. And so gratitude, what, how do we not get uh, gratitude? Gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. Gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. Take a breath. Go deep. Breathe deep right now if you would. Just, I know some of y'all don't trust the preacher. Like, I'm not going to breathe. I'm not going to breathe. I don't trust him. You're going to go the rest of the service not breathing. I'll try to make you drink the Kool-Aid later. Just take a deep breath. Now exhale. That's a gift. That's a gift. You say, preacher, I got bills to pay. I, I got problems. I got big boulder sized problems, but you got breath. You, you had that breath like that, that this moment right now, no matter what, whatever is keeping you up at night, no matter whatever's waiting on you tomorrow to ambush you when you show up at school or work, like you had that breath and that breath is the gift. And according to the scripture, that's the, the next breath is no guarantee. 
It's no guarantee, but that itself is a gift. And so gratitude is not some polite, proper word that we say in response to some generous act. It is the ability uh, to, to experience life as a gift. In Philippians 1, Paul would say this. Paul and Timothy, this is his colleague, he would say to the, that they are servants of Christ. He's identifying. He's leading off with his identity, his credentials, if you will, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. The church established leaders. When you get people and you got a movement, you got things happening, guess what? You need leaders. And, and that was the gift that God gave the church. And these were two. But notice Paul, in the other epistles that he's writing, he starts with grace and peace, and he identifies himself as an apostle. But in the church at Corinth and the church at Philippi, he says, I'm a slave, I'm a servant. Now, why would you do that? Why would you introduce yourself as a slave? It seems like you're reducing your credibility. Uh, every time we meet someone, every time we introduce ourselves, first date, speaking somewhere, you put your best foot forward, don't you? You try to lead with your credentials without sounding haughty and arrogant. But Paul didn't lead with apostle. He led with, I'm a slave, I'm a servant. Because Philippi was image conscious. They were status obsessed. And he's saying, I don't want to live my life with a bunch of entitlement. And by the way, this joy and this gratitude that he experienced, entitlement has to be low if gratitude is going to be high. I'll never forget years years ago, before I was married, before cell phones, I was a minister in South Florida with college students. We had a partnership with what, what at the time was called Belgrade, Yugoslavia. It doesn't exist anymore. The land does, but the, the country doesn't uh, with that name. It's Croatia now. But I met with this man. A friend introduced me, and we, ha- we met for lunch, and he was uh, quite candidly uh, a man of clout and influence and money, of great wealth. He was a high-profile leader. And this was so long ago, but the only thing I remember about this lunch, I knew that he uh, had about an hour with me over lunch, and I knew that he had a meeting waiting on him, people waiting on him after his lunch with me. And so toward the end, I kind of interrupted him and said, uh, don't you have a meeting? And here's what he said. I, I won't forget these words. He said, no problem. They all work for me. And in my heart, I remember kind of making a vow. It's the only thing I remember. That. In my heart, I just made this vow not to refer to people as my people like that. Not to think in the dehumanizing way of they're under me. I'm better than them. I don't care what they're thinking. I don't care that they're waiting. I'm so important, they can just wait on me. And in a hierarchical world that existed at the time, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi after the life of Jesus. And he's saying, there's, there's a way to live and it's as a servant. And by the way, proud people aren't happy people. Entitled people don't feel gratitude. And that was my vow. Sometimes I slip up. But I don't want to think of it ever as that way. And Paul's writing and saying, I don't want to feel entitled. Everything that I have is a gift. Gratitude, what are we saying, is the ability to experience life as a gift. Some people perceive things as their right. Some people see things as a gift from God. Paul would use this word in Philippians 1.3. We looked at it last week, a little bit of redundancy here. Real quick, 1 Corinthians 4.7. You'll see some similarities between the city of Corinth and the city at Philippi, the culture, and what was happening. Look what Paul says. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that, ha- that God hasn't given you? A good question to ask you this morning, church. What do you have? 
that God hasn't given you. And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Do you perceive it as your right or do you see it as a gift? A gift given to you. In Philippians 1-3, what we looked at last week, he says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. The Bible talks a good bit here in Philippians in first chapter and the third chapter. He says, I'm forgetting the things that are past. I'm looking forward to the things. I'm pressing on to the things, that high goal that is in Christ Jesus. But the Bible talks a good bit about remember. In fact, this word remembrance, we will do it next Sunday, the final Sunday of the month as we do each and every Sunday. We'll do this in remembrance of Jesus. We'll bear in mind the great love and sacrifice of his death. The Bible says a lot about remember. In Hebrews, um, it says, in Hebrews 13, it says to remember your leaders. Consider their faith and the outcome of their way of life. Um, it, it says in Acts, to remember what Jesus has said, that it's better to give than to receive. In Ecclesiastes 12, it says to remember your creator uh, in the days of youth. Um, in Revelation 2, it says to remember your first love. That's not a romantic thing. That's God, your creator, your lover, your sustainer, your redeemer. Remember your first love. In the longest chapter in all the Bible, Psalm 119, the scripture tells us to remember God's word. And then it goes on to say later in that long chapter, it says to remember God in the night watches. When you're depressed and when you're anxious, is it harder at night? When you're worried about provision and we're worried about the future, is it harder at night? The scripture says it connects to you if that's you. And it says, think about God in the night. Put your phone down. Uh, turn off Jimmy Fallon and think and meditate on God's truth. Uh, let God be with you. Remember God in the watches of the night. And the scripture says in Psalm 103, it says, forget not the Lord. Forget not all of his benefits. Remember him. It talks about the benefits that God gives to his followers. Uh, forget not all his benefits. Look at this passage. Well, let me, let me do Deuteronomy and then we'll get to that passage in Psalm 103. Moses would say this, be careful that you do not what? That you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Can I just say God is a deliverer? Can I just say that the happiest people I know and the most grateful are those who know they've been delivered? May, perhaps maybe our gratitude and our joy wanes and it's not, it, it gets choked off by the cares of life because we don't feel like we've been delivered. We don't realize the weight of our sin. We yawn and we go through the motions and we think God, what, whatever is given to us, God deserves to, that we deserve it. God, God works for me and he ought to give me that. In fact, there, I've got a long list of things God ain't given me. And that's fundamentally opposed to what a, the with God life is about. He would go on to say this, and some of us need to hear it if you've been blessed today. When you have eaten and you're satisfied, isn't that almost all of us in the room today? Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not, what, forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commandments, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and your gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. You won't be grateful. You won't be happy. The Lord God who's a deliverer, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, he led you through vast and dreadful wilderness. Get specific, Moses. That thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. Something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that 
in the end, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to you, your ancestors, as it is today. Has God blessed you? Do you have some of those things? I don't know about your herds and cattle and flock. Uh, You may be a city folk. But do you have the silver and gold? Do you have the house? Do you have the blessings? Can I just say, like, that's from the hand of God. Don't let it puff you up. Don't cling tightly. Don't clutch tenaciously. Be a generous person. Look, let me just say it. Um, It's hard for people who have a lot to give a lot. But that's the call of God on your life. And grateful people will be generous people. And people who learn, remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 6? For where your treasure is, there where your heart, you, you can lead with your money. You can give the first fruits. You can trust him that God will uh, provide. And can I encourage you? The scripture says, Paul would say in Corinthians, excel in the grace of giving. Like I want to challenge you today to excel in the grace of giving. In the 103rd Psalm, remember Paul said, I, I thank my God in all my remembrance. We're talking about this word, remember. In the 103rd Psalm, he says, forget not the Lord and all of his benefits. Let's do a little language thing. Uh, the benefits, think about this word, this Latin word. Think of benefit. What, what are the benefits of your life and trusting in God? What benefits have you seen of, a, of identifying yourself like Josie Blue did in the 930 service in baptism? To say, I'm in with Jesus Christ. What benefits does he bring? The psalmist would write. He would give a long litany of things. God forgives you. He forgives your sins. That's good enough, isn't it? Like we ought to rejoice in that. If you know the benefit of what can wash away my sins, you don't have to live with regret and shame. Look, I don't care what you've done. I know some of y'all are really good at sinning, but God gives his grace and that can be the benefit of following him, of trusting in him. There's the benefits you, at work, you have a benefit package, all these things that they lure you to the company with. And so it is in following God. There's the benefactor. It's the one who gives the gifts. God is a factory of blessing. Can I say it? He's a factory. He's the, he's the source of James 1, every good and perfect gift. And then lastly, looking at this Latin words, there's, there's the beneficiary. Who's the beneficiary? Would anybody want to raise their hand and say, I am the beneficiary of God's blessing in my life? Anybody would want to say that? Like you, you can today, you can say, man, I, I benefit from God's blessing. I could stand up. I'm not going to let you, but I could stand. You'd be out of order. Uh, I could stand up today. We'll kick you out. And, and you could say, hey, these are the blessings. These are the blessings. This is how God has blessed me. Gratitude is the ability to see, to experience life as a gift. And so Paul says, I'm a servant, Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. And Philippians 1.3 1, 1, 3 says, I remember. And I remember the blessings of God. I remember the blessings of God that flowed through you. And God does that, doesn't he? He flows a lot of his blessings through people. Man, I just want to challenge you to have good people in your life. You ever heard of the concept of retroactive gratitude? If you hadn't heard of this concept, I know you experienced it in your life. You may be sitting next to someone that's going to nudge you in a few seconds. Retroactive gratitude, realizing after something is over or someone is gone that you appreciated what you had. That's big time regret, isn't it? Something's over. When you get my age, things start ending. When you get my age, you start realizing not everybody lives that long. Things are over. Seasons are over. 
you get gripped with just more than just sentimentality and nostalgia, like it hurts a little bit. Sometimes I have memories that just come to my mind and go, man, that ain't happening anymore. Those days are done, and it's over. Did you appreciate it when you had it? Did you appreciate her when you had her? Did you appreciate him? Did you appreciate them? Do you appreciate the people that God is, you, you've been the beneficiary of these relationships. But retroactive gratitude is realizing after something is over, after someone is gone, that you appreciated them. There's a, an old preacher story uh, I've told a couple of times. My wife appreciates this illustration. But a man comes home uh, after work and he walks in the door and the house is a disaster. Uh, dishes are on the counter, dirty dishes, dirty clothes are on the floor. The baby is crying. The bed is unmade. The TV is blaring. And he looks at her with that look, and she looks back at him, and she says, you know how you come home a lot and ask me what I did all day? Well, today I didn't do it. Y'all, everybody, everybody takes people for granted at times, do you? Who needs to know? I crafted a question for the small group guy this week. I crafted a question along these lines, but who facilitates love in your life and who needs to hear from you this week? Who needs your appreciation? The second thing uh, that I want to give you is gratitude is the gift that allows us to enjoy other gifts. Gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. In addition to that, gratitude is the gift that allows us to enjoy other gifts. One of the things we don't get about gratitude is that we think that, well, it's, it's a thank you after, some, after we experience some exceedingly good fortune. If you've had something exceedingly good happen in your life, I, I mean, that's low level there. Like, that's 101. I, I hope you say thanks. When, if someone does something really nice for you, it happened to me this week, and, you know, you, you just, there's no way I wasn't going to say thanks. I hope I was proper in my uh, expression of thankfulness, but it was a blessing I, I, I didn't deserve, I didn't see coming, so I said thank you. Like, that's that's good. But in this letter to this church so long ago, and what I'm putting in front of you today is that not only is gratitude the ability to experience life as a gift, but gratitude is the gift that allows you to enjoy all other gifts, including the gifts that you wouldn't classify as exceedingly good fortune. In the 29th chapter, I'm sorry, in the 29th verse, there's no 29th chapter, just four. Man, I'm preaching some false doctrine today. Um, Philippians, the 29th verse of the first chapter. Here's what he says. You may not like it. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, in other words, I'm, I'm not making my life about happiness. I got a bigger meaning. I got a more noble purpose. That's what I'm going after. So all this situation, circumstances, they can play themselves out. I'm not going to live or die with my fluctuating feelings. I'm going to let God transform me into settled character, into the fruit of the Spirit. I've got to start over because I started preaching during the verse. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Malcolm Gladwell, have you heard of him? He's one of my favorite uh, modern writers. And I see a couple of you nodding your head. He's, his books are in my library. He wrote a book a few years back called David and Goliath. And he talked about this concept. I think he coined it. Uh, he called it... Um, calls it desirable difficulties and he talks about how some people in life they'll use struggle as a springboard not to quit not to be unhappy not to be ungrateful but just simply to springboard into uh, greener pastures deeper waters as the 23rd psalm would say and he talks about how uh, he looks at some difficulties he he talks about uh, citing some uh, historical facts he talks about uh, how 
two-thirds of British prime ministers and one-third of United States presidents, uh, when they were children, they lost a parent early on. He talks about how uh, two-thirds of successful entrepreneurs in the business world in America, almost two-thirds have some form of dyslexia or learning disability. And how these difficulties, these desirable difficulties, the reason he, he uses that phrase is nobody wants them but you want the outcome if you use it to be a springboard. Um, that it, it, the people that have experienced difficulty, that have gone through some horribly hard stuff, have found that they learn more, they work harder, and they appreciate the progress all the more because of what they've went through, because of the difficulty of it all. And Paul, remember in the first chapter, In verse 12 and then in verse 19, he introduces us to his current status. And I don't know what your current status is, but you're not in prison right now. Some of you may be going soon. I don't know. Some of you may be wanted by local, state, federal authorities. I don't know. But you ain't in prison right now. You're in church. And Paul was chained to the palace guard, to the imperial guard, to Caesar's guys. And you would look at that and go, man, whoo, prison He could be out and traveling the Mediterranean world, having fine food and visiting with friends, but he's chained to these prison guards, but they were the secret service. And remember, in Romans 15, Paul said, my ambition, I'm not trying to make it about happiness. Like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, they hadn't written that yet, but I'm sure he wanted to be happy, but he didn't make life about his happiness. He said, I've got a loftier vision here. It's the meaning I found in my life, Romans 15, is I want to preach the gospel. It is my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been preached before. How was he going to get the gospel to Rome? How was he going to get the, the, the gospel to, to uh, the, the nationalists, if you will, the Roman nationalists who politics was their God and they needed Jesus. By the way, if politics is your God, you need Jesus. And, and Paul says, I know how I get, I know how I'll get it to them. Here I am. They're chained to me. They got to listen to me share with them about Jesus. Read Acts 16, long before Elvis, Paul and Silas had a jailhouse rock where they sang praise and worship like we do on Sunday morning. But again, you ain't in prison. Paul was in prison. And here he's saying, no matter the difficulty, God can use it. Years ago, I was uh, traveling, uh, living out west, traveling, traveled to the Pacific Northwest with some friends. We went hiking up a mountain, uh, Olympic National Park. Pacific Northwest, you know, is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, Some of you were there not long ago. Uh, But uh, beautiful, and it it can be very rainy. And we went on this hike, and it was going to be a four-day excursion up this mountain and it was going to be great and we were uh, starting out on our trek and we had weights you know the all the stuff our gear if you will and as we began we were getting wet it was raining and they they had not gotten the forecast right or we didn't know how to read the weather report in the pacific northwest at the time but they they just didn't get it right and it was raining and and uh we kind of i mean honestly i'm kind of soft and i just thought man i would like to go find a warm hotel room uh, and just hang out with these friends, and let's just go, let's go easy road. And I wasn't the only one thinking that, and we began to doubt uh, this trip that we had paid money for and that we were looking forward to. We thought we were hard, but we're soft. So we're walking up, and there, this guy's coming down, this hiker, and he had been where we were wanting to go, where we would be in a few days, we thought, he had just come from. And he was jovial, and he just offered, boldly offered his joyous opinion to us. Uh, he heard us saying, I think we're, I don't know that we're going to go up. It's raining. And he goes, oh, man, you've got it. This hike is fantastic. You can't turn around. And then my friend showed him the weather that was getting, uh, that was 
quickly deteriorating. And he looked at the forecast, which, which to me was like God speaking, saying, go to the hotel room. And, uh, and this guy goes, that's a terrific forecast. That's fantastic. And here's what he said. He said, when you hike and you, you begin to go up, by the way, you'll have a canopy, tree canopy, that'll shield you from some of the rain. But look, the waterfalls will be full uh, the, when you get up there, you're going to see this valley that's going to be all green. The view is going to be so great. Don't, and he said, and this is what I remember verbatim. He said, it's the rain that gives this place life. And can I tell you, when I see the struggles in Philippians, again, nobody's in jail, but it could be raining on you. And you think this is the time to turn around. Now, if you're sinning, turn around. But if it's just difficult, if hardship has befallen you if difficulty is there i'm asking you to consider not turning around because that could be the very thing that could give you life. well it's raining it's raining but it's the rain that gives this place life and if you continue to be faithful i think part of the promise that we see in the life of paul in this letter of the philippians is we see that it's the rain the hardship that can do that very thing that can make the valley green and the waterfalls full and the view grand it's the rain that gives this place life Gratitude is the ability to see life, to experience life as a gift. And gratitude is the gift that allows us to enjoy all other gifts, including the difficult gifts. And thirdly, I'll say this. Without gratitude, our lives degenerate into envy, dissatisfaction, and complaining. Can I get an amen? You ever met anybody and you hung out with them and then you talked about them? You said, man, that guy complains all the time. I just want to see him again. I just want to hang out with that dude. I mean, constant, and he's got all, all his facts, and just, he just lines them up and just blasts people, and just all the problems in the world and everything. It's like, I love that guy. I mean, that guy brings me life. Excellent. Gold medalist complainer. You've never said that, and you've never felt that. Let me give you an assignment. I did this to our first service. Here's an assignment. Leave today and don't complain. You can't complain. You can't complain about anything. You know, have you noticed there's a lot to complain about? Just choose a letter in the alphabet. Calories, carbs, climate change, flat tires, fake news, politics, potholes, heat, humidity, late fees, long lines, leftovers, Louisiana State football. There's a ton of things that God hates. No. There's a ton of evil. What can I get away with here? There's just stuff that we can complain about. Not me, but you guys. I see it in you. But leave here today, and here's the thing. If you're with someone, a loved one, roommate, friend, spouse, parent, keep each other accountable. You, you can speak, but you can't complain about anything. And if you go a whole day, so you have till 1147, or you're going to leave here at noon, so you have until uh, noon tomorrow, you can't complain. All right? Some of you probably have to, yeah, never mind. But uh, you can't complain. And then, I, then, I, then email me tomorrow and answer this question. Did, did that make you feel more vibrant and more alive and closer to God? Because if you were to leave here and complain about everything, pick your letter of the alphabet, the roll A to Z, and then email me tomorrow and let me know if it made you come alive and you felt more vibrant and closer to God. Like, you already know the answer to that. And Paul would say in Philippians 2.14, and it is a command. He says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing, all things. Try it for 24 hours 
and then email me. Let me know how you failed. Tell me when you broke. Tell me what you said, as long as it's not about me or Fondren Church. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. How rare is that for real, y'all? Big time, huh? Paul would follow this up, and you'll have a chance to look at it in your small groups. He follows verse 14 up with verse 15 and 16. I'm good, aren't I? And he says there, he says, if you do all things without grumbling or complaining, he says, you'll shine like stars. Years ago, when my 21-year-old college junior daughter was a teenager living at home, I would walk around singing, shine bright like a diamond, shine bright, just to irritate her. Shine bright, y'all remember that song? Shine bright like a diamond, or whatever that song goes. I do different versions, kind of like I'm doing now. And she'd just roll her eyes and just not want to be seen with me. And uh, just to irritate her, shine bright like a diamond. I like that song. My daughter didn't like me singing it. But listen, Paul is saying it's a similar thing. He doesn't say shine bright like a diamond, but you know what he says? You can read it later. If you have an old Bible, you can read it now. He says, you'll shine like stars in the universe in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. What does that mean? It sounds a little harsh, sounds a little judgmental, but I think we could say the same for our day. Like we're not walking a straight line. We are serving our own gods. We have a, a heart that's an idol factory and we're producing idols in our heart and living for ourselves and we're hurting other people and we're disregarding God's ways and we're complaining and grumbling. Instead of gratitude, we're grumbling. And Paul is saying, if you live differently, what a promise, by the way. Like, come on, if just a few of you, if this catches fire with you, come on. He says, you'll shine bright, you'll stand out amidst of crooked and perverse generations. Translation, everybody's out there complaining. Everybody is, is, they're putting their whole hopes of happiness on their circumstances, which is a terrible life strategy. Terrible. I preached this before, but you, there's two ways to change your happiness and your joy and your gratitude. One is to change your external world so that everything that happens will make you joyful and grateful. Good luck. Good luck. Fail strategy. Or you can let God change your inner world. He can settle your character in the midst of fluctuating feelings that you have. So do all things without grumbling. As Lauren and the team come up, I want to leave some moments for us to pray, for you to pray. We're going to open up our altar. We're going to pray over you if you'll allow us or allow you to pray down front. Lauren and the team are going to come up. They're going to sing the first part of the song. Um, we're going to ask you to remain seated, seated and just have it sung over you. And then we'll ask you to stand and we'll open up our prayer, time of prayer. Paul, the same one that would write in the second chapter of Philippians about gratitude, first and second chapter, he would write this to the Colossian church. He would say in chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Here's what I want to call out, being watchful and thankful, being grateful. Because gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. Gratitude is the gift that allows you to enjoy all other gifts. And without gratitude, your life will degenerate into envy, dissatisfaction, and complaining. But notice how we need to open our eyes. I drove back after a wedding last night from New Orleans this morning. At about 4 a.m., I left the hotel. And there was, as the weatherman says, there was patchy, dense fog in low-lying areas. And I remember thinking, I can't see. And I'm a pastor. We drive really fast. And I remember thinking, this will be a sermon illustration or I won't be preaching a sermon. Somebody else will be. But I just couldn't see there for a stretch. But seeing is so important. If you're going to be joyful, if you're going to be grateful, you're going to need to be watchful. You're going to need to see. Dogs 
love well. Big happy dogs. You got a big happy dog. Dogs love so hard. It don't matter who you are. If you know dogs love hard. You could be Hitler or Manson or a lawyer that advertises on TV. Your dog doesn't care. He loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you do. And dogs smell. They love and they chew and they're, they're beautiful and disgusting and they, they smell. If you have a dog, you know when you take them for a walk, they're walking you, aren't they? Because they're going to go to their spots and everything is about their smell. And it, it was occurring to me on a, a dog walk recently of like, man, do you, don't you think that dogs would, you know, because they, they interpret the world, they process the world through their sense of smell. And don't you think that a dog would ever get to a place where like, you know, there's a lot of smells in this world. I get it. That's a fact. Intellectual understanding now. So I'm just moving on. A lot, a whole lot of smells. So I'm just moving on. Dogs never do that. But that's what you and I do with our vision. And we get to a point in life where we go, hey, you know, there's all this stuff. It used to wow me. I used to stop. I used to slow down. I used to appreciate it. But now I'm moving on because I know it's there. Got the t-shirt, as they say. And I just move on. You see, I, I, I want to see the way my dog smells, which is a terribly crafted sentence. I don't mean that I want to go home and smell my dog. What I'm saying is I want to see the world with my eyes the way my dog sees the world with his nose. A sense of discovery and a sense of wonder, being watchful and thankful. It's almost like Paul saying, pray with your eyes open, which is not a good, you know, we think that's a sin. But be, be mindful and be aware of the blessings that are there. So Lauren's going to sing this song over you with some beautiful instrumental. And listen to these words. Bathe yourself in them. And then I'm going to come back up in just a couple of minutes and ask you to stand. And then we're going to reserve this time for prayer.